Hello and welcome to this episode of the Evelyn Partners Investment Podcast. I'm Cherry Reynard and with me today is Ben Seeger-Scott. We're going to be discussing the recent round of inflation data, better news on economic growth and the direction of stock markets. We're recording this on Tuesday the 1st of August 2023. Before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. So welcome, Ben. Um, inflation has stolen the headlines again, but this time it was actually good news. Um, were you encouraged by the news emerging from the US and UK, or are you kind of reserving judgment? Well, um, yeah, in- inflation again. I think you're right, there are some positive signs. Um, but it comes with a caveat, it's worth taking all of this with a pinch of salt. And one of the challenges you have with inflation, you know, obviously we're, we're focused very much on the news, but inflation, these prints only come out once a month and they can be pretty volatile. So depending on, on, on which measure you look at, see, there's, there's lots of ways to measure inflation, CPI, core CPI, PCE, lots of three-letter acronyms. But they have been volatile and it's worth remembering it was only the previous print in the UK that sent markets into a little bit of a tailspin and pushed all of those interest rate expectations high. You'll recall in the news talks about mortgage deals all being pulled. So it is a volatile series and it's worth trying to look through um, in, in, into that trend a little bit. But that said, there is some evidence that, that inflation is, is trending down. And I think, um, you know, if you look at the, the top level, particularly in the US, Inflation in the US is behaving a little bit more mechanically. Some of those volatile elements from last year, particularly energy and food, they're coming down to expected. Those are quite easy to model. We know where oil prices were last year. We know where they are this year. So that sort of passes through in a mechanical and and base effect kind of way. But I'd say what the good signs that that we're we're tending to focus on is, is twofold. First, it's coming down largely in line with expectation. Um, a little bit volatile around that, but but the, the numbers are coming in as expected, and that gives some confidence for, for the trajectory. But I think even more positively, aside from energy, food, and, and a couple of others, there are a few elements, a few components that tend to be stickier, and there were some concerns that sticky inflation will cause uh, that headline rate to, to plateau at a higher level. And that is elements such as housing-related costs, other servicing costs, But actually, we're seeing those come down both in the US and to an extent in the UK as well. And if those sticky elements come down, that should allow overall inflation to continue trending lower. So I'd say most of the inflation related measures that we look at, we we don't just wait for the headline numbers numbers to come out. We try and look at some of the the earlier input measures. They're all heading in the right direction for now. that, That allows us to be reasonably um, comfortable but again it's important not I think not to read too much into a couple of months worth of readings it can be quite volatile and we're, and we're looking more for that trend which is positive at the moment but but it's likely to be volatile in the coming months. 
Um, I guess the same might be said of, of the trajectory of interest rates, but the ECB and the Federal Reserve both raised rates this month. Do you think that could be the end of it for both of them? Well, as, as you say, uh, the, the central banks have been following the inflation story. The two are, are interlinked. Um, I, I, I certainly think that we are closer to the end than the beginning. And that, that's that's probably about as confident as one can get um, when it comes to interest rates. Um, and it's worth highlighting the various central banks are at slightly different stages of the cycle. I mean, if you take the US Federal Reserve, they're further ahead in their cycle um, the way all central banks measure, have, have slightly different approaches to interest rates. In the US, they use a range, um, and that's now sort of between five and a quarter and five and a half percent US base rate. And the expectation is they might pause, but what we're seeing and, and have seen historically, there is the actual number, and then there's the rhetoric around it. And a hike followed by a, a declaration of, that's it, we're probably done, is very different to a hike followed by, we'll do, we, we expect to do more. And the Fed is talk, we're still talking pretty tough. Now, market expectations and Fed guidance is this could be um, that this could be it. Now, whether that's a pause to see what happens, um, and followed by at some point in the future a cut, or a pause followed by further hikes, that's still very much up in the air. And, and, and I think Jay Powell, the, the chair of, of the US Federal Reserve, is at pains to say. We're not pausing and that's it. We remain alert to any changes. But within that, there is this indication that maybe the Fed is, is prepared to, to wait and see what happens a little bit more. If you compare that to the ECB, in Europe, uh, that they came from a place that, that uh, policy was much looser. You know, Just over a year ago, interest rates in Europe were negative. So they've got a lot further to go. So even though we talk about central banks possibly pausing, you know, the, the US Federal Reserve is above 5%. The ECB, if you look at the deposit rate, that's uh, around 3.75. So still a little way behind. The expectation is that that's likely to go a little bit further, but it will probably stop um, a bit below the 5% range. So a bit further to go, but closer to, to the end than, than the beginning. All of that, of course, depends on the data that comes out, uh, some of the signals that 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 we see. What I would highlight, though, compared to where we were 12 months ago, there was this sense of urgency, a bit of a rush to, to raise interest rates. And that's because central banks were behind the curve. They thought inflation would be transitory. It wasn't. So they had a lot of catching up to do. As we stand now, particularly in the US, interest rates are above where inflation is expected to be over the next 12 months. So when you have interest rates above expect short-term expected inflation, that does mean it's restrictive. And that means the central bank, even if you see some wobbles in the trajectory, central banks uh, are more inclined to wait and see what happens, wait for some of that, that, that impact of tightening rates to happen when interest rates are above inflation. So there's a little bit of wiggle room there. Um, the indications are the US may be done for now, but all of that could be changed with a sort of um, an anomalous inflation reading. Okay, thanks. And there also appeared to be better news on economic growth with the IMF giving a more upbeat assessment of global growth prospects, even that of the UK. Um, in this sort of topsy-turvy world we're in, I'm, I'm not quite sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but what have you made of that? Well, see, I, I think there's two ways to read it. It depends if you're an optimist or a pessimist, frankly. I mean, if, 
if you're taking the positive view, then the forecasts are improving. They tend to report on these quarterly uh, and the GDP estimates have been revised up from the last quarter to, to the results that were just released in, in July. And that's obviously positive. It's for the reasons, though, that we've already largely talked about. These, these are not surprise um, uh, forecasts. What the IMF look at is, is largely what the rest of us are looking at as well. It's just a sort of more official response. And they talk about inflation trending down largely around uh, expectations. They also talk about the, the robust corporate activity in the first quarter. And we've talked before in this podcast around um, the resilience that we're seeing in, in corporations. They're able to pass price increases through consumers generally are, are continuing to spend. Wages are growing comfortably. Unemployment is, is pretty low. So all these bits we've talked about have, have been reflected in the IMF revising up up their GDP forecasts. That's the positive spin. The negative, though, is that the while they're revised up, they're still quite a way behind trend. Just by put some numbers on it, looking at the global level, the IMF, IMF upgraded its, its forecast for this year from 2.8 to 3.0. Not a huge move. Next year is still about the same at, at 3.0. Whereas if you look at the trend, uh, look at sort of the last the last decade. The trend is about three point eight. So the trend growth is still some way uh, ahead of where we are now. The reasons for that are, are again, it's around interest rates that remain pretty restrictive. Also, some of the demographic shifts. Um, we talk elsewhere, and we've got some excellent publications. Um, one of my colleagues in the strategy team has done a lot of work on these mega trends, and some of the demographic shifts mm -hmm. are, are still. Um, a, a little bit a little bit difficult so I mean positives and negatives in the UK you know we were revised up from minus 0.3 up to 0.4 but UK is still very much a laggard so you know things aren't as bad but there's certainly elements of, of improvement in there I think there's been a new round of um, corporate earnings in the US I'm just wondering if anything notable has emerged from that I mean particularly I'm thinking around the technology sector yeah, I think that the US corporate earnings season, still early days, we're around about a third of the way through. So as always, there's plenty of scope for, 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 for things to evolve and, and take a turn. But I think it's, it's useful to, to get a sort of early cut. Um, as we're saying that there aren't massive trends that we're seeing. There's no key theme. As we stand today, like I said, about a third have reported, around two thirds of those are beating um, analyst estimates and earnings are marginally up compared to the same quarter uh, last year. It's not unsurprising to see that level of analyst uh, analyst beat ex, uh, beat, earnings beating analyst expectations, not least because you know a lot of companies go out of their way to, to push analyst expectations down, manage those expectations and manufacture a beat. So te we, we tend to have um, th these positive surprises, but two thirds is, is not outside the, the outside what I consider to be a normal range. Now, within that, of course, there are quite big swings. Energy has been has been hit pretty hard, but that's because we're comparing the quarter now to last year when obviously oil prices and energy prices were extremely high. So energy is weaker and technology is, is benefiting. But mostly, again, that's comparing to last year when, when, when the situation was a little bit tougher. And sort of what we're seeing within technology around three quarters thus far are beating their expectations. Now, a lot are still to report. As we record this, some of the big names 
aren't aren't until later this week. But what I would also say, a lot of the um, a lot of the positives and negatives are quite company specific. We're not seeing this. All of tech is doing well, or all of tech is is, is doing badly. And also remember now when we talk about sectors, we talk about technology, but actually it tends to be more in inverted commas. If you think about the actual technology names the likes of Nvidia obviously doing very well on the on the AI story Microsoft um, revenue growth um, a bit more subdued because it's cloud business um, not, not doing quite as well but some other companies that we might consider that we think about as technology aren't actually in technology meta so so the Facebook owner isn't in tech it's in com uh, communication services that revenue is doing a little bit better because because of, of advertising um, alphabet, um, previously Google, the, the creators of, of Google, also in communication services, revenue also up because search is, is holding together. And we haven't heard from Apple, which isn't technology, it's in hardware, or Amazon. Um, actually, Amazon is consumer discretionary stock, and that's later this year. So the general sense is the tech sector, the broader tech sector, is doing just fine, but there's no big um, tailwind across the entire sector. It is very sort of company specific, but we haven't seen any blow ups. And the theme we're generally getting is that corporations are, are, are grinding through. The focus is on some of these sort of smaller details that are unlikely to, to move the dial massively um, unless we see some big shocks. Okay, great. And I mean, on the fixed income side, spreads have actually moved in quite a lot for corporate bonds. Is is that a is that a worry for you or are absolute yields still kind of high enough to make them attractive i think a co corporate bonds are an interesting asset class to to think about so when you're lending to companies uh you companies issue bonds you buy these bonds corporate bonds and they've got two components and one which is effectively the base rates that's correlated very closely with government bond yields and then as you say you have the credit spreads um that's sort of the additional um, yields on offer to, to, to try and compensate you for corporate default risk. Um, and those tend to be correlated with equities. So it's a, a slightly unusual asset class. And as you say, that credit spread component, so the additional yield on offer to take on the, the risk of corporations defaulting, um, those credits are getting tighter. So you're getting less yield for taking on that risk. And I think as those have trended lower, I, I would say from my perspective, there's a lot of optimism baked into those numbers. So overall, I think the asset class is becoming a little bit less attractive because you're, you're not really getting the diversification benefits um, against equity because of that credit component. But and you're, but neither are you getting that sort of growth shock protection that you get with government bonds. So overall, I, I think the, the attraction of, of credit broadly, corporate credit, um, corporate bonds, um, is becoming a little less. I think the guidance that we're issuing internally, we're favouring government bonds now over corporate bonds. And where we do have corporate bond exposure, we're sort of favouring the shorter duration end. So that's bonds maturing in the next few years, even though they have got a little bit of spread, uh, spread duration, uh, spread credit spread in there, the duration of that sort of sensitivity is, is quite reduced if you only have a short um, time to maturity. It's called the pull to power effect. So really, we do still have exposure to the asset class because it offers quite an attractive yield, but we keep the duration short. We use that pull to power effect just to try and get a reasonable return without being exposed to some of the variability 
that you get in, in sort of the longer durations. Okay, great. Um, and just finally, it's been quite a good run for markets. Um, I was reading that it's it was sort of the longest streak in the S&P for, for decades. Um, is that a cause for optimism or is it a cause for concern? Um, bit, a bit of both, really. Um, I, I don't want to look like I'm sitting on the fence, but I think as we said before, we've been quite neutrally positioned in terms of our, of our equity exposure. And that's sort of reflected in, in where markets have moved. The, mar the market is pricing in the positives and the negatives that we've talked about. And that's why it's been a little volatile over the last few months. I think what is true, um, I think, is that this, this path to a, to a soft landing, so avoiding um, a, a significant downturn in, in the US and, and in the world, is a pretty narrow one. Central banks need to walk a very fine line between bringing inflation under control but not tipping the economy into a, a sharp recession. And that's quite a difficult thing to do. Historically, central banks have not uh, got a good track record on delivering on that. But so far, the data is showing that you know, central banks are continuing to, to tread that fine path. And so the, the longer this goes on, the better the prospects. The longer that the economy can sort of keep on chugging along, the longer we have for inflation to, to come down. Um, the more tools the central bank has to, to, to deal with that downturn. So actually, while some people might think, you know, you're picking up pennies in front of the steamroller, actually, the longer we have, the better the prospects for, for managing it. So I think overall, um, there's scope for volatility and there's plenty of scope for optimists to be disappointed. Um, but I also think there is a risk of tipping too far the other way. It is always easy to come up with some negative stories in markets. So we often say, markets climb a wall of worry. There is always something to worry about. It's those risks that you're being um, offered potential return for uh, to, to, to take. That's fundamentally what investing is. So I think markets are pricing in some of the better news. There is scope for disappointment, but there's also uh, a risk of being, um, of avoiding risk entirely. So it's about being selective in, in taking those risks overall. Great. Okay. Thank you, Ben, for all those insights today. Um, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. All references and lines spoken about in this episode can be found in the episode show notes, and you can find lots of other investment articles on evelyn.com, including our latest Outlook. Daniel Casali will be back with us in the studio for our next podcast episode, and we'd love to have you join us then if you can. Please do subscribe to our show if you haven't done so, and you can rate and review us in the App Store. Until next time.